It's so good to, to hear stories of, of those who are out serving in different places in the world, and it just reminds me that, that we're missionaries here, right? And that we have been called to serve our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends at school, that God has called us as well. And uh, Andrew's example challenges us to be reminded of that today. So it's good to be with you. My name is Nate. Uh, I'm on staff here as the lead pastor, and this is my third Sunday. So I'm, uh, I'm totally in. <laughs> yeah. I keep, I keep telling people I'm in the honeymoon. Everybody likes me still. Uh, that's going to be over. Don't worry. I know that's not going to last. But it's been fun uh, to be here. And uh, I've got an update on my connection with sports teams here in Kansas City. Uh, last Monday, I went to my first Royals game. So that was, yeah, really fun. And uh, Haven went with me, and we sat in the heat of the stadium and watched Santana pitch and Sola hit, and, uh, and, and we enjoyed a lot of health food, which is what you do at baseball games. Um, so salad and no dessert for us uh, there. Um, no, you know what it's like at a baseball game. So we had hot dogs and ice cream and popcorn, and uh, towards the end of the game, Haven was uh, still a little hungry, and she said, hey, let's get something else. And I said, maybe, maybe we should go with something uh, healthy this time. And she said, well, how about fruit? I said, yeah, fruit would be great. So we found chocolate-covered strawberries with marshmallows <laughs> and uh, kind of wrapped up the evening with that. It's hard to be healthy at a baseball game. But as we were walking into the stadium, I was just, uh, Haven was kind of blown away. She's like, everyone's wearing blue. You know, everything, everywhere I look, it's blue. And uh, I, thankfully, my father-in-law has been a Royals fan his whole life. And uh, about a couple months ago, he mailed me his baseball cap, his Royals cap. So I had that on, and I had a blue T-shirt on, which wasn't Royals, but it was blue. And, uh, but Haven didn't have any blue on. And so she's walking in. She, she didn't feel, like, connected. She felt like she was on the outside, like she didn't belong, and uh, was experiencing this, like, oh, I guess I missed the memo about wearing blue. And uh, as we walked around the stadium, we went by a fan, uh, fan store, and I said, well, let's go in and get you a blue T-shirt. You know, we can buy one for you. And she said, well, it wouldn't go with my, my fit, my outfit here. I need uh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't match well. So uh, she had her opportunity, but continued to be an outsider um, in that way. But as I was leaving, I just was reflecting on how easy it is to fit in at a, at a baseball game like that. You, you just have to wear the right color, and you have to make noise at the right times. And if, if you do those two things, uh, you, you're part of the tribe, you're part of the community there at the Royals game. And, and sadly, life doesn't, doesn't really work that way, does it? Uh, we, we struggle at times to find a place where we can belong. We struggle to find our, our people, our community, uh, those that accept us and welcome us in, uh, who we can be with, comfortable with and be ourselves with. We, we struggle to find those places. And, and we probably have all experienced times when we've felt rejected, when we felt like we haven't belonged. Uh, we've been in relationships that have fallen apart. We've seen friends that we care about pass away or die, and, and we've lost that connection. Some of us have invested in relationships and made commitments to others and walked for a while, and then things change, and, and the, the friendship spirals downward. The relationship comes to an end, and, and we know what it feels like when, when we lose our place, when we don't belong, when we feel lost. If only we could put on a, a blue T-shirt and, and have our people again but life doesn't always work that way. And the great hope that we have, the, the reason we get together this morning and every Sunday morning is to remind ourselves that there is one who seeks a connection with us. There is one that pursues us. There is one that welcomes us no matter who we are and, and wants to be in relationship with us. There is one who has done everything possible to know us and to be in relationship with us. And even when we push away, even when we fight, he doesn't give up. And even when we run away, he runs after us faster. 
that's the good news that we come together to remember that there is one who we have connection with. And the story we're going to look at this morning, the story of Jacob, reminds us of this one who is after us, wants to be in relationship with us. This morning, we're going to look at Jacob's story. And Jacob had a father named Isaac who had a father named Abraham. And two, last week, we talked about Abraham. So Jacob was Abraham's grandson. And it's one of the reasons we call Abraham Father Abraham, because he had kids. He had grandkids. He had many grandsons. And uh, speaking of fathers, I need to say Happy Father's Day to all of you who are dads here this morning. We know that good dads play an incredible role in their families uh, and in their communities, that they bless their kids and, and their friends. And so thanks, dads, for what, for what you do and, and how you uh, take care of your family and, and those around you. And just as a way of saying thanks, uh, Hillcrest wanted to give you a little gift this morning. As you leave, dads, we have a dad's root beer for you. So make sure you uh, pick one of those up as you, as you head out. There's going to be some guys with coolers handing out dad's root beer for all the men that are here. And uh, guys, if you want to share, you can, but you don't have to. But uh, make sure you pick up one of those. We also have a table out in the lobby with uh, Father's Day cards. As a, as a dad, I know sometimes that gets forgotten. And uh, so if you forgot the card for your dad, you can pick one up this morning and, and fill that out real quick. And uh, we want to support you in doing that. So Abraham was a father, father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. And again, Jacob was Abraham's grandson. And uh, Jacob was trouble right from the beginning. Uh, when he was born, he was born with Esau, his older brother. Esau was born first. They, weren't, they were born together, but they weren't twins. And Esau came out first, and as he was being born, out comes this hand holding on to Esau's ankle. Can you imagine this moment as, you know, if you were involved in the birth at all? And whoa, what is happening? And uh, Jacob came out grasping his, his ankle, his heel. And uh, so people took that as he was trying to take first place. He wanted to be first, and he was trying to get out of there before Esau could. And uh, he, he was given the name Jacob, which means deceiver. Jacob, the one who wants to trip up his brother, to take his brother's place. I don't always understand the naming of children in the Old Testament. I, I don't know why you'd want to name your kid deceiver. It just seems like you're setting him up for problems. If I had a child born and, and uh, he was red and angry and yelling, I wouldn't name him like Screamo or Rage or something <laughs> like that. Um, but but that's, that's how it went back then. They named him Jacob, the one who would try to take the place of the other. And if you know Jacob's story, you know that's actually kind of how it played out for him, at least the first 30 years of his life, trying to take the place of Esau. He, he wanted to be the firstborn, and so he tricked Esau out of his blessing as the firstborn son. He tricked him out of his birthright. And Esau was so angry that Jacob had to run for his life. And he fled to a foreign land where his uncle Laban lived. And he, and he worked for his uncle for 20 years as a shepherd. And in, the, in one of the best, like, what comes around goes around stories, uh, Laban deceived Jacob. Jacob wanted to marry his second-born daughter, Rachel. And so he worked seven years to earn Rachel's hand in marriage. And on the wedding night, after all the ceremony, after all the promises were made, he lifted up the veil, and it wasn't Rachel. It was his, her older sister, Leah. And Laban had tricked him into marrying his firstborn, not his secondborn. And back then, that wasn't, you know, you couldn't just sort of say, whoops, um, I'm going I'm to null this thing, and let's try again. No, no, it was, you were done. He was connected for life with this woman. And so he worked another seven years to earn Rachel's hand. And, and um, again, just a different society than we live in today. Thankfully, we don't take more than one wife at a time, you know, and, and, uh, but that's how it was set up back then. So he worked another seven years to get Rachel. Eventually, he just, he never felt at home there with his Uncle Laban. 
His uncle never was honest with him, always working him over. He never felt at home and like he belonged there. So eventually he said, I'm just going to head back to my family, back to Esau. It's been 20 years, and maybe he'll receive me back. And on his way back to Esau, he encountered, uh, Scripture says, the angel of the Lord, an angel, a, spirit, a supernatural being. Some scholars think maybe it was God himself that descended down, and, and he encountered him in the middle of the night. And we're told that Jacob wrestled with him that he fought with him all evening long, and he begged him for a blessing. He said, give me a blessing, and, and the being he was wrestled with, the angel of God was like, why, why will you not let me go? And he said, I want a blessing. Give, he was desperate for a blessing. He had stolen Esau's blessing, and now he wanted one that was made for him, one that fit who he was. Jacob had discovered that a stolen blessing really isn't a blessing at all. He discovered that when you want to be in someone else's place, when your wish is to be that other person, when you're envious of them, that life ends up being pretty shallow and hollow and powerless. And so Jacob was desperate to have a blessing for himself that was his own. And finally, the angel of the Lord says this to him after wrestling all night. He says, your name will not be Jacob anymore. Instead, it will be Israel. You have struggled with God and with men, and you have won. He says, you're, gonna, I'm, you're no longer the deceiver. I'm now going to call you Israel, the one who wrestles with, with men and women, wrestles with God and overcomes and prevails. Jacob has his blue shirt. He's got his identity, his connection. He understands in a new way who he is and how God sees him and who he truly was created to be. And he and his brother Esau are reunited. They, they find unity again. They find peace between the two of them. And he becomes the father of the 12, 12 tribes of the Jewish people. Uh, Israel becomes the name of the people group and the nation that are chosen by God to bless the entire world. And we still hear about them in the evening news today, the nation of Israel that was given Jacob's name, his new name. So I want to look at the story, uh, a final story from Jacob's life. At the end of his life, uh, near, near his death, when he was blessing his kids. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Genesis 48, we're going to look at the story of, of Jacob and his blessing for his kids. What is that sound? I haven't seen rain here yet. This is fascinating. No, I'm just joking. I knew that was rain. I can actually see it out there. Uh, Genesis 48, we're going to look at verse 10, and we're going to encounter Jacob as he's blessing his kids, and his 11th son, Joseph, comes up to him. Now, Joseph was second in command in the world, basically. Egypt was the world power at that time. Through a variety of things, you have to read Joseph's story. He becomes second in command in Israel, kind of the prime minister of, uh, of Egypt, I should say. And, and so he's got a special place in the family. So he's allowed to bring his two sons to be blessed as well. This doesn't normally happen. Normally the father would bless his sons. And then 40 years later, that father would bless his sons. But in this special circumstance, Jacob is going to bless his grandsons and almost adopt them as his sons in that way because of Joseph's position. So look at verse 10. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. There's this part of this story where Joseph was lost, and, and um, Israel thought he had died, and, and he didn't think he would ever see J Joseph again. And so he, he says to Joseph, I had this dream. And I didn't think it would happen. And now to see you here and to see your son. I mean, have you ever had a dream and you don't see any way that it's going to come about? And God says, I'm the one that can bring those things around, even when you don't think it's possible. 
That's what Isaiah, uh, Israel's saying here. Verse 12, then Joseph, um, Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand. And he brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. And then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. And verse 17, when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased, wasn't happy with what was taking place. So he took hold of his father's hand and moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to him, no, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people. He too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he is, and his descendants will become a group of nations. So Israel blessed them that day and said, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. It's a lot of names there. There's a lot of arm movements. So um, Let's talk about that for a minute. I want to focus on two phrases in this story. One is where, where Israel says, the God who has been my shepherd all of my life. And then the other phrase that we read in the story, that he crossed his arms. We're going to talk about that. Those are in verses 14 and 15. So first, God who has been my shepherd all my life. Jacob says, he's, he's walked with me. He's been my shepherd. The, the image of God as our shepherd has been a, a comfort for people for thousands of years. The idea that there is one who walks with us and takes care of us and protects us, who guides us along the path, who watches out for evil and, and, and stands in the gap for us, someone who knows our name and takes care of us. This idea of shepherd has been an encouragement to so many. A lot of us think it was King David who was a shepherd and then became a king. We think he's the one that came up with this, this idea of a shepherd God. We think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But Jacob is actually the first one to ever... Talk about God as a shepherd. This is the first time in scripture we see that taking place. And we know Jacob was a shepherd for 20 years with his uncle. So he knows all about sheep. He knows how difficult they are to take care of. He knows how stubborn they can be. He knows that they're not really the smartest animals out there. Uh, Jacob could have said anything about God, but he said, he's my shepherd. I'm his sheep, calling himself a sheep in this moment. A good shepherd helps the sheep uh, stay together because they like to wander away into ravines and crevices. A good shepherd moves the sheep to fresh pastures because if they stay where the pasture is green and they eat down through the grass, they'll just keep eating until they get to the dirt and then they'll fill their stomach with dirt and they'll die. So the shepherd has to move them to fresh places. A good shepherd guides sheep to safe water because they'll try to take a drink out of a raging river and they'll get swept away. A good shepherd carries a staff with a hook at the end so he can guide the sheep and he can lift them into places where they get stuck. A good shepherd carries with him a rod, a wooden rod, to protect his sheep, to, to hit back the animals that would come and devour them. That's what a good shepherd does. In our world today, we still need a good shepherd, don't we? We still need someone to walk with us and protect us, someone to guide us when we have options and we don't know what to do, someone to pull us up when we feel stuck in this world someone to guide us and protect us. 
This last week, we had our second art camp here. Our Next Generation team has been doing, done this for two weeks where elementary students have come and, and experienced a week of art together and learning how to listen to God's voice. And they played a game this week called Follow the Shepherd, where they had a, a grid laid out in front of each kid, and, and they had to follow the directions of the shepherd and make, take their steps through this grid. And if they stepped on a, a safe square, they could move forward. If they stepped on a, a bad square, they had to go back and start over again. And they did this one, one at a time. Each path was different for each, uh, each child, and they had to follow the lead of the shepherd. And once they were done with that, the leaders of the camp sat with the, the kids and said, what, did, what do you think of that game? What do you observe about it? What would you do differently? What do you think of that? And I just want to share some of their responses with you, some of the things they said. And as I I read these, I want you to think about this idea that God is our shepherd, that he is the one that guides us. What, What are the words of wisdom from these kids that connect with our faith? And knowing that Jesus, in the New Testament, Jesus is called the good shepherd. How do these words connect with our desire to walk with Jesus, to experience life with him? Here's some of the things that the kids said. Patrick said, it got harder when I was not looking at the shepherd. Instead, I was looking at the other kids. I'm kind of distracted by what I see happening around me. What are other people doing? What's right for them? And, and I took my eyes off the shepherd. Shiloh said, it helped to keep eye contact with the shepherd. Then you know what to do. She says, keep your eyes fixed on the shepherd. Then you'll know what steps to take. Eli said, it would help if the shepherd had a special call to call us back. If only we knew the voice of the shepherd, if we could hear the voice of the one trying to guide us in this life. Hazel said, or maybe if he removed all the dangers, so every spot was a good spot. (laughs) Wouldn't that be good? And Lucy said, or maybe he could show us the bad things ahead of time so we would know what was coming. Hazel and and Lucy, they're very practical people. (laughs) Wouldn't that that be nice if, if each step was a good step? There was no trip ups. There was no you know, traps for us. Wouldn't it be nice if we could see what was coming? If we knew it at 25, one of our friends would die, or if I knew at 40, I was going to lose my job, or if I knew these, it wouldn't it be nice if I knew that was coming my way. But Graham, I think he wrapped it up really well with those question marks around us. He said, or, or couldn't the good shepherd, couldn't the shepherd go into the maze and walk with the sheep? Wouldn't that be great? If the, if the, the creator would just put on flesh, come down and walk with us in this life. Help us know where to step and which, which way to go. Hazel had this one last comment. She said, that sounds like a good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, she said. We can follow him. I haven't met Hazel yet, but when I do, I'm going to invite her to preach because <laughs> <laughs> she's right on. We can follow him. At the end of his life, Israel looks back and he says, God has been my shepherd all the days of my life. We know that Israel, we know that Jacob, he didn't have an easy life. He had some real challenges. He had ups and downs. He ran for his life. He didn't feel his place. He was deceived himself. He he was afraid. He had a difficult time in this world. And yet he says, I look back and I see that God has been my shepherd, guiding, protecting, calling me back, watching over me. He's been my good shepherd all my life. It's good news for us today. And then that second idea I want to talk about, the idea of crossing his arms, the second phrase that stood out. Joseph brings his boys in front of Israel and asks for a blessing, and the story says that Israel crossed his arms, and and Joseph gets frustrated. Manasseh is the firstborn, uh, should get that first blessing, should be the better blessing, and and Manasseh should be underneath Israel's right hand, the right hand. In in Scripture, the right hand was uh, the the hand of power and authority, and as a lefty, I find that offensive, but (laughs) it's anti-leftist. 
but that's just the way the symbols worked in the Old Testament. We see Jesus at the right hand of God. It's because the right hand is the hand of power. So the firstborn son should be under the right hand. That's just how it worked in the Old Testament. You know, the firstborn was chosen over the secondborn. The man was chosen over the woman. The wealthy over the poor. The people position over those without. Um, that's the way it used to be. So glad it's not that way anymore, right? Yeah, I need some chuckles for that one, yeah. <laughs> not much has changed. But that's what Joseph was upset about. He says, my firstborn should be getting the, the greater blessing, the right-hand blessing. And Israel says, I know, I know, but I'm, I'm going to switch my hands. I'm going to lift up the secondborn. I'm going to raise up the lower one. I'm going to see the one that's been pushed off, and I'm going to put the spotlight on him. I'm going to cross my arms. And that isn't just Israel's way. That's the way of God. It's the way of Jesus. Jesus said, who are those that are left out? Who are those that are pushed to the side? Because I'm going to be with them. I'm going to look for them. I'm going to cross my arms. I'm going to lift them up. Paul wrote letters to his friends in the New Testament, uh, those that he cared about, and he, he, re- he wanted to remind them of what it meant to walk as Jesus walked, to be part of the community of Jesus. He would call them back together. And in his first letter to his friends in Corinth, he wrote these words, and this is the message paraphrase version, version just so you know. He, he wrote these words, Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. He didn't mess around, did he? Paul kind of shot right from the hip. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses God chooses these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. And then Paul wraps it up by writing these words. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, everything we have comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. God crosses his arms. And he takes those of us who are the nobodies, and he says, I'm going to build my kingdom through you. I'm going to change the world through you. God chooses those who are overlooked, and he gives them a place. He calls those who are abused, and he gives them a position. Our creator put his right hand on those who are alone, and he gives them a name. That's just how God operates. And you can see it over and over again in the stories of the Bible. God chooses Abel the younger, not Cain. Abraham said, Ishmael will be the one. And God said, no, I'm going to choose Isaac. He chose to reveal himself to Jacob, not Esau. He works through Joseph instead of his 10 older brothers. The line of the king comes through the family of Judah, the secondborn, not Reuben. Attractive Hagar or barren Sarah, who's God going to choose? He chooses Sarah. Moses, who can't talk. Gideon, the weakest of his tribe. David, the youngest of his brothers. Over and over again, we see God crossing his arms, just like Israel did. And I'm so glad that he does. I hope you are too. Because I've been rejected. I've been through seasons of pain. I have wandered and and I've felt lost. I've seen people turn away from me. And God says, I'm with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Many of you have experienced life in second place. Or as one of my coaches would say, first loser. Thanks, thanks coach. Many of you have been there. Many of you have experienced loss and pain and grief and hopelessness and loneliness, and your good shepherd sees you. He sees you. He knows your name. He is here, and he is crossing his arms, blessing you with the blessing you don't deserve, 
giving you a name you haven't earned, healing and giving you power that you couldn't call out of your own muscles if you wanted to. Your good shepherd is with you no matter what reality you find yourself in today. And I can say that with confidence because I know that our good shepherd, I know that our God understands the hardships we've been through because our good shepherd, Jesus, he was rejected. He was betrayed. Our friend Jesus wept at the funeral of his best friend. Jesus has been through the things we go through, the difficult days that we face. Jesus has been there. He understands, and he now says, I will walk with you. I will be with you no matter what you face. None of us like to be in the dark valleys of life where we bump up against the broken and the hurting. None of us want to be there, but that's where God goes on his recruitment tours. He sees you, and he knows your name. And I want to remind you that your good shepherd crosses his arms and he meets you where you're at today. And he has called you out by name. And this is good news for us. Obviously, it's good news for me. (laughs) I'm feeling it, but it's good news for us today. And because you've been called out that way, because he's crossed his arms over you, he's given you a name and a place, guess what? He's also given you a purpose. Because now he calls you to cross your arms, to look for those in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, at the places where you work. Look for those that are overlooked, those that are pushed to the side. And you look for ways to call them out, to bless them, to lift them up. Who are those that are forgotten and overlooked in your world? Who are those that uh, are pushed to the side? I've only been here three weeks, so I I don't know who they are. You've got to tell me. Who are the ones that are overlooked? Go ahead and say them out loud. I need to hear from you. Who are the ones that are forgotten in our community? Who are they? Immigrants. The homeless. Prisoners. Christians. The disabled. What was that? The fatherless. We need to come alongside those who are hurting and lonely, those who have been overlooked, and to cross our arms and lift them up. Yesterday, I was at the Juneteenth celebration at the park just down the road here. What a great way to celebrate freedom for all people. And this reminder that there was a whole group of people, there's a quarter of a million black brothers and sisters in Texas that didn't realize they were freed from slavery for two years, they waited, till the word got to them. And they had to wait for that word to come. And yesterday we got to celebrate freedom for for all. That's worth celebrating, isn't it? That's worth having a party. That we cross our arms and we lift up those who have been forgotten. Because that's what God has called us to do. Because that's how God treats us. And that's what he's called from us. I want to encourage you this morning. That you are blessed beyond what you know. That you've been given a name. That you have a blue shirt that you belong, that God has you and he understands what you've gone through, what you are going through, and he is walking with you. He is your good shepherd and he's called you to cross your arms and bless those in your world. Let's talk with him right now. Would you pray with me? And let's just invite him to help us live this way. Father God, I am so thankful that you are good and faithful and and strong, that you are our good shepherd that you see us as your sheep, you you watch over us. 
You see the dangers that are coming. You see the pitfalls that we don't see. And we can trust you. And Father, when we are lost, when we fall into places where we get stuck, when we are in the dark valleys, remind us that you are here, that you will comfort us, that you will pull us out, that you will shine light in the dark places, that we have hope, we have peace, we have a place, because you are good, you are a good shepherd. I pray that these words would encourage your people today. I pray especially for someone here who maybe doesn't understand what all this is about, who maybe doesn't know you as their good shepherd yet. Father, would you call them by name and allow them to receive the life that you offer them, the forgiveness that you so eagerly want to give. And I pray for those that are hurting today that you would call them back to yourself, that you would comfort them and give them hope It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.